You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. Starting in verse 15, reading down to verse 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap Him by what He said. And so they sent their disciples to him along with some Herodians. And teacher, they said, we know that you are truthful, teach truthfully the way of God. And you don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show any kind of partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Perceiving their malicious intent, Jesus said, why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin you used for the tax. They brought him a Daenerys, whose image and inscriptions in this, he asked. And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray you help us as we uh, look at this passage of Scripture this morning. Give us ears to hear, uh, hearts that want to heed and hear your instruction to us and the power to live out what you're saying to us from this text, Father. God, we just thank you for the way that you providentially have brought Zach into this role and this position. We pray for, um, yeah, your kindness upon them as they make this transition out of a loving, wonderful community there in College Park, pray for the new hire for his role there, God, that you would bless him and use him. I think his name's Alex, God. Uh, may this be a great fit for him and, and continue to flourish and bless that ministry and that church, God. And help Caitlin and, and Zach as they make this transition, this move. Father, just uh, the physical nature of all that is just hard, it's difficult, it's stressful. Uh, may you come and bring uh, a peace that surpasses all understanding. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All righty. Here we are. We get to talk about politics a week and a half after the election, man. What great planning. Amen? Oh, boy. Yeah, so I wish you could be me and let me be you for about 30, 40 minutes. That's what I would love to do. I don't know about you, but anytime I get a chance to throw Chris Farley in on a sermon, I like to do that. And so maybe this is a good picture to characterize how you felt over the course of these last two and a half weeks. I just uh, love uh, him. Uh, yeah, brings a lot of laughter to me. So here's what we want to do today. Uh, we, you know, we, we are a week and a half beyond elections. We're still kind of in the process of all the kind of craziness of this. And, and then we have this passage of scripture that's before us this morning. This is not me bringing this up. This is religious leaders who are bringing this up so that we can talk about it 2,000 years later. So if you're going to be mad at anyone, don't be mad at me. Be mad at these religious leaders who asked the question, right? And so here we are. We've got to unpack it and uh, do our best to better understand what's going on here. So this you know, we, we as followers of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, we've said this before, you kind of have this dual citizenship. 
uh, we are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. As we see in uh, Philippians chapter 2, our allegiance is to King Jesus and his kingdom first and foremost. And then at the same time, we are citizens of the United States of America, which I'm very thankful for. wouldn't want to be in any country than the country that we live in. And so with these two, these dual citizenships, man, it's, it's difficult to know how kind of these these overlap, how they don't overlap, how they come together, when they come together, when they don't come together, how do, how do we navigate the tensions that lie? I mean, it's just not um, as clear as I would say we would want it to be. You know, I don't, you know, I've said this often, um, you know, the Bible's not this instruction manual. It's not. It's not the that's not the purpose of the Bible. Now, it does give instruction on living and how to live. I mean, all that's there, but the primary purpose is not like a, a manual on how to parent. I, I wish it was. Amen, right? There's so many days I just wish, gosh, Lord, give me a Bible verse so I know what to do in this situation. But the, the Bible is here uh, to train us in wisdom, and how we can live in this world where there's uh, a lot of complexity, a lot of gray. And, and man, it's an understatement to say that when it comes to government, when it comes to the state, when it comes to us kind of living out our dual citizenship as followers of Jesus Christ. So, um, as best I can, and with, within those same limits as a human being, I'm going to try my best to kind of unpack what Jesus is saying here. And then, uh, Lord willing, just give us some application. Um, maybe uh, probably what's going to happen is give you something to reflect, to think about, the process as we leave here this morning. All right? So unfortunately, I don't know if I have any of my non-staff pastors in here, so I can't look to them and say, hey, if you got any, well, I've got Tony. I already made fun of him in the nine. So yeah, he waived any problems or issues that we have with the sermon. Tony Stanron is the email to send to, and I can put that on the screen here in just a few minutes. Amen, Tony? Thank you, brother. All right. I'm just teasing about that. I'll, I'll kind of explain a little bit more of like what we can do with this better. So let's jump in here. Let's kind of see what's happening. So we saw that there's kind of two groups of people that approach Jesus in order to trap him. So one group uh, specifically is a group of Pharisees. Some translation helps us see that they're actually kind of protégés, they're disciples. They're, they're not Pharisees yet, but they're disciples of Pharisees trying to get in there. And then you got these groups of, of, of Herodians. And so and this is probably an overly simplified way of understanding this, but for our context, it's good to know that uh, the Pharisees would be more kind of like category of anti-Rome, right? They're not really excited about the rule and the governing authorities of Rome, and they would be very anti-Rome. And the Herodians would be more pro-Rome, so to speak. I mean, they, uh, they you know, they kind of, the, the, the Herodian dynasty uh, owes its kind of power to Rome. And so there's a kind of more friendliness toward Rome than what the Pharisees have. And so these two groups of people, come to Jesus in order to trap them. They, they, there's not a, they're not wanting to really know anything specifically. They're just wanting to trap him in his words because they hate Jesus. They're, they want to get rid of Jesus. He's disturbing their way of life. And the best thing they can do is figure out a way to kill him. And so by bringing this sort of trap to Jesus, hopefully they can accomplish those ends. And so here's the question that they brought to Jesus uh, there in verse uh, 17, it says this. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, when we, we first hear that question, that doesn't seem like, ooh, 
What's so difficult and hard about that question? It doesn't seem real profound. It doesn't seem like a, a trip-worthy question. You know, it doesn't feel very trapping uh, to us. But here's, here's what we got to see here. With this question, if Jesus uses, you know, chooses to say, yes, yes, it is right for you to pay taxes to Caesar, then the, the group of Jews that are, that, are, that are part of this large crowd, these religious, devout um, God-fearing Jews would, would look at Jesus and say, you have sold out. So if you're telling us to pay taxes and submit ourselves to this pagan, evil, godless, wicked rulers, then you're selling out. And most of them would have just said, okay, we're done with you. We, we're, we have no, we don't want to have anything else to do with you anymore. And they would have been out of there. It, it's, it would be like this. It would be like finding out today in this 2021 season, whatever, that a Christian pastor was sending money to support ISIS, right? That, that would be a little troubling. Amen, right? Well, that's, that's kind of the um, sort of, if you want a kind of embodied emotion that these Jews would have felt if he would have said, yes, you need to pay taxes to see. They would have, that would have like, whoa, what? Kind of that same feeling that we felt if we ever found out someone was, a Christian pastor was given money to support ISIS. So that's, that's one aspect. That if he answers no, if he says, no, you don't need to pay taxes to Caesar, then the religious leaders uh, would be able to go to the Roman authority and say, aha, you've got another Galilean who's trying to instigate a revolt. And so, you know, Jewish history tells us years before this, there was a man named Judas. This is really, somebody should really fast here. Judas, who's not the Judas that was in the disciples, who tried to lead a revolt over against, you know, paying taxes to Rome. And that revolt didn't go really well. Judas and him getting crucified. This was not a good thing. So if, if Jesus says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, then it gives the, the religious leaders the chance to run to Pilate. Oh, we get to tell on Jesus. We get to tell on Jesus. Here's another Galilean that's trying to instigate a revolt. Do something to him. So these guys knew that if Jesus answered this question in a very careless, imperfect way, it could fatally compromise Jesus and what he's trying to do. And their chief aim is to alienate people from him and to get rid of him, to kill him. So, look what Jesus says here, starting at verse 18. Perceiving their malicious intent, <laughs> sometimes it would be nerve-wracking nerve to be around Jesus. Amen? Like there's a part where we would love to be around Jesus, and then there's also a part of us that goes, I don't know, because if he can read what's going on inside of me, that's probably not going to be wonderful at all times. So perceiving their malicious intent, Jesus said this, why are you testing me, hypocrites? Sometimes I would like to have that kind of boldness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, ah, oh, you hypocrite, you know? Then look what he says in verse 19. Show me the coin used for the tax. And then they brought him a Daenerys. Now this coin is, is interesting. It's really um, important for us to kind of see what this is here. So I got a a visual, it's kind of hard to see. So the, the, uh, this coin in this time, it's called a Daenerys. On the front side of this would have been a, 
kind of a human portrait with an inscription that's just, you know, scribes, the, the Roman emperor, this was, you know, Caesar here. And on this, the one to the left there would, would have son of God. So they saw the emperor in this time as, as someone who is a God that is, that is, has a responsibility. Those that are under his subject rule or whatever, they need to worship him, bow down to him. The other side of this would kind of have the inscription, if we translate it in the English, it would be high priest. And so this coin in and of itself is a kind of a symbol of, of kind of the, the expectation that, he, that they have of those that are under their rule to worship Caesar, to bow down, give your allegiance to him, that, that he is a God. And this was extremely offensive to a Jew, extremely offensive. It's violating the first two commandments for them. I mean, they saw this as such idolatry and just bothered them so much so that Roman policy was brought into place here because of their, uh, to, to kind of be sensitive to their objection to this coin, that they, uh, the Roman policy there allowed them to make kind of this non-idolatrous coin that they can use uh, for everyday business so that they wouldn't have to carry this massively idolatrous and offensive coin to them. Now, the irony is that Jesus apparently didn't have one but here they are in the temple, and these guys do. Exposing once again their own hypocrisy. Look what he says to them in verse 20. So they get this coin, and he says this, whose image and inscription is this, he asked them. And they said, Caesar's. And then Jesus said to them, and this is like, so brilliant what he does here. I think sometimes we, we um, and, I, and I've said this before, uh, we have a tendency to downplay the brilliancy of Jesus. That, that if, you know, if I would have came to you during the week or someone else would have came to you during the week and said, hey, uh, who's the first person that comes to your mind uh, when you think about the most brilliant person to ever live? Most of us in this room would not think of Jesus. We would think of someone else. But when you, when you look at how he responded do like questions like this, wow. And he is absolutely brilliant. Because look what he says here. And I know it doesn't feel profound to us, but in this time, this was utterly profound. It was. He says this, give then to Caesars the things that are Caesars and to God the things that are God's. So, so first of all, just, just kind of bear with me. He avoids simplistic thinking, doesn't he? We, we have a, like, they're wanting to kind of push Jesus in this binary thinking of yes or no, right or wrong, black and white. And Jesus refuses to play their, their game here. And, and we, we as followers of Jesus Christ, I just want to encourage us to avoid simplistic thinking, not only when it comes to us thinking about human beings, but even in the system of like government. It's very complex. I know what we want. We want what is the right answer? What's the right vote? What's the Christian vote? How should I believe here? We want all this binary ideas, but most of life is lived in the gray where we need wisdom that comes from Jesus. And so they're wanting him to say yes or no. Jesus avoids that kind of simplistic thinking. Secondly, he also avoids is he avoids apathy, doesn't he? 
Like, I don't know about you, but here's kind of what I'm, I'm expecting when he gets the coin in his hand. And I'm sure the Jewish people that are around them are thinking this. Here's this idolatrous coin that just is so offensive to them. I'm just, I'm thinking Jesus is going, you know, with this little coin saying like, you know, everything's going to go to hell. You know, the earth is burning. So don't give a rip about government. Just go do your own thing. Don't care about it. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm being kind of a little silly, but here's, here's what I am concerned about, especially those that have grown up in church. You've probably heard that stuff, that the earth is going to burn up. So why invest in it? Just like, you know, let it go. No, that's not an option either. I love how, um, and I've kind of shifted this quote on you, Trevor, sorry. Uh, I love how Bruner talks about this in his commentary, and he says this. I think I had it at the end in the 9 o'clock, but I moved it up here in the 11 o'clock, sorry. So hang on one second as he finds it. Since governments, there we go, found it. Thank you, brother. Since government is, or supposed to be, quote, unquote, I mean, in parentheses, an organ of the community's social justice, not, not to give due attention to government is to run against God's will. Not to read the newspaper. I know this quote now is a little dated, right? I, I still read the newspaper. I guess I'm old man. Um, but a little dated here. Or you know, check your news feed, whatever, modernize it for me. Amen. Uh, not to read the newspaper, not to seek the responsible discussion of political issues, not to care. It's convenient, but look what he says here, but it's not discipleship. Jesus commands disciples. This is not like optional things here. He commands his disciples to give to Caesar both boundaries and due. So look, follow me. So in this little phrase, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. Absolutely profound for them to hear this. But here are the two things we see Jesus doing. First of all, Jesus is doing this. He is affirming for us to show respect to governing authorities, to show respect to the state. Like, it lands on us like, duh. But if you were in this time under the, the horrible reign and rule of a, a wicked, godless Roman government, this is mind-blowing. There's a little word there when he says, give then to Caesars the things that are Caesars. That word give there is different than the word that is used for pay or give in the previous verse. So when the, when the leaders come and say, are we to pay taxes, that word can also be translated give. It's a similar word, but very different. What, what can be literally translated there, and this is the key to where we see Jesus saying, look, give respect and do honor to the state. It can also be translated give back, which means this, that word there means it either indicates um, the return of something borrowed or the payment of what is due. So in essence, one commentator says this, this is what Jesus is saying. The tax is thus presented not as an arbitrary imposition, but it's presented as a due payment for the benefits received from the imperial government, which they have acknowledged by using the imperial currency. The state, and this time and in our time, performs multiple services for its citizens, symbolized, and this time, by the coin. Today, you know, we got water, we got sewage, we got highways, we got defense, we've got, you know, um, you know, signs that are on restaurants 
that have an A rating, a B rating, a C rating, or whatever, you know what I'm saying, that shows you that they're following, you know, kind of health codes, and I don't know about you, I'm thankful for that, amen, right, like, I don't, yeah, just thankful, I always look, anybody else look at the little, uh, yeah, I always do, I mean, we've, we've backed away when we saw like a B, it's like, oh my, I don't think it's real hard to get an A, but man, you've got some stuff going on here, B, right, I always look at what, what was the rating before that, sometimes they hide that a little bit, in small print, you know, I went to Chick-fil-A on Springhurst a few years ago, and they had a C, I was like, oh my, I'm not going here for a while, and there was a big old mold breakout, moving on, but, but, but we're thankful for government building codes, Right? You know, we don't arbitrarily put up exit signs here. There's building codes that we have to have so that, you know, if a fire would break out and lights go out here, we could see, oh, there's ways to get out of here. These are all services that our government does for us. And even in this time, they were doing this. And so Jesus is in essence saying this, look, they serve you in this way. It would be ungrateful for you not to pay your taxes. And I think this is kind of what, not kind of, I do. I think this is what Paul is getting after in Romans 13. It's almost like he's taking this phrase and expounding it a little bit more. Give to Caesars what is Caesars. Look what he says here, starting in verse 1. Which is, you know, man, this is a profoundly relevant passage of Scripture for a lot of us right now in 2020, not just in the election season. Look what he says here. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Why? Since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Now we, like we feel a little ruffled, right? When we hear that, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. But can you imagine the people in Rome hearing this from Paul? Most likely under some serious persecution. You're telling me? That God is the one that instituted this? That's all sermon in itself, right? Verse 2, so then the one who resists authority is opposing God's command. Right? You're not opposing government. You're opposing actually God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good con- conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of, of the one in authority? Do what is good. And you will... Have its approval. Verse 4, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Because if it does not carry the sword for no reason, for it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Verse 6, and for this reason, you're to pay taxes. They're, They're kind of similar language that Jesus is talking about. Since the authorities are God's servants, continue to attend to these tasks, pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those who owe taxes, tolls to those who owe tolls. Respect to those who owe respect and honor to those you owe honor. Respect and honor for government is an important form of respect for God. And that's what Jesus is getting after when he says, give to Caesars what is Caesars. And then at the same time, so that's affirming, right? Give to Caesars what is Caesars. And then at the same time, in a brilliant way, Jesus is setting limits to that. There are boundaries. And what does he say? And, it's an important word, and to God, the things that are God's. Yes, we are to respect the state, the governing authorities, but we give the state its due along with boundaries. That's why I kind of brought up the coin thing, because there's a, there's a subtle play on wording here that's being made by Jesus that sometimes we can uh, kind of 
blow by really quickly here. Caesar's coin is stamped with his image and therefore belongs to his realm. But human beings are stamped with God's own image and therefore belong to God. What is due to the emperor is the coin which bears his image. And what is due to God is oneself as a person bearing the image of God. Therefore, our ultimate identity and allegiance is to the one who has stamped his own image on us. And that is God who has specifically revealed himself as Jesus. That's who we owe our ultimate allegiance to. That's who we belong to. There is only one throne available in the human heart, and it is reserved for Christ alone. So a growing wise Christian, a growing that is engaged in in the political realm, approaches things like politics as one whose allegiance is to a king, a capital K, and his kingdom, not a party and its politicians. I'll say it again. None of us are doing this perfectly, guys. Can we just own that? Can we have some honesty and say, you know what? I'm not doing this well. (laughs) So a growing, and the reason why I say growing is because none of us have arrived, nor ever will arrive. We're always in process. So a growing, wise, engaged Christian approaches things like politics as one whose allegiance is to a king, King Jesus and his kingdom, not a party and its politicians. We seek first the king and his kingdom. Why? Because the stamp of God is on all of us, and we belong to him. So, yes, Jesus is affirming respect for the state and the governing authorities, and at the same time, he is setting limits on that. That the state becomes demonic in the measure that it asks for itself the things of God, which are total commitment, unconditional obedience, or uncriticizing allegiance. So, of course, man, <laughs> how this all works out, you know, like this, that's the, that's the difficulty. That's the work for us. How this this balance, so to speak, of affirming and also at the same time, the limits, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's really hard. And we've been wrestling with this and deciphering this for 2,000 plus years. Yeah, clearly, clearly, it's very obvious that there are times when Christians must disobey government, i.e., the apostles, when they were told not to preach Christ anymore, And they said, sorry, love you and respect you, but I'm not going to obey you. I've got to obey Jesus. There's a greater king that's in charge. Of course, Jews hiding people from the Nazis. You've got to disobey government time. Meeting, there's house churches even now that are meeting in communist countries and doing that against the law. And even in our day, this includes voting to elect people who think, who we think can bring the greatest good to our society. So one brilliantly put together phrase, Jesus both affirms and says we are to give respect 
to the government authorities that he's established over us. And at the same time, there are limits, there are boundaries. So here's where I, I mean, I would, you know, I think what you're probably wanting is like, okay, then give me the list, Lyle, of, you know, how do we keep this balance? And, and I, I'm not here to give that to you. I think there's other readings and things that you can kind of explore. And, and I don't, I think it's lifelong processes. We figure this out together as a community. But here's where I want to kind of land the plane in light of these two things that Jesus is laying before us. I don't think um, that these two aspects bring a lot of concern for us. I think most of us are probably in agreement with what Jesus has laid out here. That there are, I want to respect my authorities. You know, we know the scripture talks about praying for them. And some of you are very disciplined about praying for your president and those in government authorities, whether, whether they're Democrat or Republican or what they are. Man, you, you consistently pray for them to lead in wise ways. You've heard sermons about us respecting most of us in this room, probably pay our taxes. We're, we're abiding by some of the governmental, uh, you know, regulations with this pandemic going on. So, like, I think most of us are probably in a camp like, yes, yes, I, I see this. And, and then at the same time, you recognize there are limits and there are boundaries that they have. And, and all of us are exercising those in different ways, depending on our conscience. So, so I don't think any of us are coming this morning going, I disagree with what Jesus is saying. Well, I'm not even sure if you would feel comfortable saying that, right? It's like, uh, I don't know if you should say that. But I don't think there's a lot of pushback there. Here's where I think the difficulty lies. The difficulty lies in the blurriness sometimes of our real allegiance. It's easy or easier when the government is obviously godless, i.e., like we're talking about with Rome and this stuff. It's, it, that, that dichotomy is really easy to see. I think it's more difficult today for a lot of us. Or another way of putting this, I think we are blind to our blindness of how much we put our trust in who's in office. So the Sunday before election, I... I share with you guys just a few little thoughts of as we approach Tuesday and there's some things to be thinking about. Uh, Emily Freeman quoted from her a couple of them, and one of them I said was this is the kingdom of God is not in trouble no matter who's elected on Tuesday. And I got a lot of like Amen. amen. You know, it's kind of amen with the mask on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah, preach it, brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like I, got all, I got a lot of people going, yeah, nodding with me. But, but man, can we sit with this for a few minutes, right? Do you still think that? Do you still believe that? Or another way of saying that is this. Does this truth, that the kingdom of God is, will not be shaken no matter who's in office, serve my voting or how I voted? Or does how I voted on that Tuesday serve this truth? Meaning this, that whether we 
consciously or subconsciously think this, but I've got to get the right person in office so that the kingdom of God won't be in trouble. And when I don't have the right person in office, then my body, how I've responded with my body, right? I.e., not able to sleep. I.e., get up, and that's the first thing you think about. I.e., you shake. <laughs> May give you evidence to what you really do put your trust in. Do I truly believe and live in such a way that my allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus and his kingdom? Or, or allegiance to Jesus and a certain party and a certain person? So a way for us to kind of decipher this a little bit, like this kind of blurriness of trying to assess where, where maybe I am. Um, I'm indebted to Dr. Jonathan Pennington for kind of bringing this out. I thought this was really insightful how to do this. Uh, but there's a, there's a uh, concept in psychology that talks about how you, know, how you can determine how healthy you are as a human being in, in, in the element of relationships. And so most of you probably have heard this before, but there's these, uh, this kind of framework where on one end you have this idea of enmeshed, right, in relationships where you're living in relationships with others that, are, that you know, overly identify with their feelings. You kind of lose yourself into someone uh, that in, in a very unhealthy way. So that, that's not good. You don't want to be enmeshed in, in relationships. And then the other kind of uh, other extreme of this framework would be kind of like disconnected, right? So you got overly identifying in relationships and losing yourself into someone and then disconnected where you're just completely disengaged, emotionally, relationally, kind of like your, your posture is more like arms crossed, right? It's, it's, a, it's a way that some of us, you know, respond when we're, we're, we're deeply hurt. And, and for some of us, maybe we kind of go back and forth uh, in those two kind of extreme places. But where you want to be... Uh, is sort of this, this um, idea, and I think I got a slide for this, is where like you're differentiated and engaged, right? Differentiated and engaged, where you have this healthy, centered, kind of boundary self who also cares and engages with boundaries. This is what we're after in relationships, right? This is what we're after. These are healthy relationships where you can be both differentiated and engaged, where like... I, that's your stuff. It's not my stuff. And I'm going to keep your stuff, your stuff, right? And, I, and this is a struggle for me, stuff I'm learning and growing, growing in. So that's in the context of relationships, all right? So take this same paradigm, enmeshed, disconnected, differentiated, engaged, and ask yourself, where would you be? Not your mother-in-law, right? Not your brother, not your coworker. You know, this is not like, man, I wish Susie Q was here, you know, or my neighbor, they need to hear this, you know. Like, where would you be on this spectrum? Enmeshed is obviously where you over-identify with a government on either side, either Democrat or Republican. Disconnected is where you're just kind of aloof. You don't care. You're not engaged at all. And just like I said earlier, don't, don't just think about it in cerebral ways, right? 
what kind of emotions are going on? How do you feel this in your body? If you are physically and emotionally troubled in any way that is controlling you on either side of this political spectrum, party, whatever, you're probably too enmeshed. That's a dangerous place to be. If you got your flag at half-mast, you may be a little enmeshed, right? And I say that kind of funny, but at the same time, it kind of bothers me when I go through my neighborhood and see so many flags at half-mast. I'm like, these are good people that love Jesus. But what we're after, right, what I'm after in my life and in this community is that we would be a body that's growing in wisdom where, there's a, where we are differentiated and engaged, staying centered in the reality that this world is not the kingdom to which my ultimate allegiance is owed. I'm free from this world, but I'm also a slave, a servant to God. I'm still engaged, seeking to be good and do good. Maybe this question will help a little bit maybe of identifying maybe the blurriness of our allegiances. Did you feel conflicted when you went on that Tuesday and casted a vote? Did you feel conflicted? I'm not trying to moralize something here at all. I am trying to put something before us that if you did not feel conflicted at all when you went and casted a vote two, a week and a half ago or even four years ago, maybe, maybe there's an over-identification of what you believe um, or where, where your trust really is. So, what do we do with this? Well, my encouragement for you is, number one, I encourage all of us to get some space and process and think and pray. This has been a tumultuous 2020. The election stuff has been absolutely insanity. We're still in the midst of it. I just encourage you to get space, process, think, reflect, pray. Ask God by his spirit to, to reveal to you where your trust really is. And let's not be fearful of that because we're safe with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I would encourage you to find friends and relationships where you can have some dialogue about this. I think some of the things that's, that's happening within the Christian community, unfortunately, and it's happening within the world at large too. We just don't have a safe place to talk about these things. We're all afraid. Well, if I bring this up, then I'm going to be a heretic or a hellion or, you know, a devil worshiper or whatever. I don't, I'm just like, man, if, let's, let's work hard within this church context to try to create communities where they're safe, where we can have kind of open conversations about these issues that are pretty complex. Some of these are not real cut and dry, not real right and wrong, yes or no. And let's be a a wise community that's um, 
aware of some of the wrong thinking that comes when we think there's only one Christian way to vote or one Christian party. That's really dangerous, guys. And that's not what we're wanting to create here. I'm, I want to create a place and a space where no matter where you're at, Democratic or Republican, that you can come in this space and feel at home and welcomed. And where a community is trying to learn from other perspectives and other ways people see things and we humble ourselves before one another. So get some space alone. Find some friends where you can have safe conversations that probably are different than you, right? They may actually have a different color of skin than you. And then lastly, and I know this sounds like cliche because it's Sunday morning and we're in church, but I do truly mean this. Draw near to Jesus. He is the source of wisdom. And if there's anything that we as Christians need in this time to be a salty presence in this community is what we need, the wisdom of Jesus. In some ways, it kind of breaks my heart when I read verse 22. When they heard this, they were amazed and astonished. So they left him. They went away. I want to encourage us not to do that, but draw near. Draw near. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.